Well, I mean, in life, screwed up moments can be a... It can be a literal screw up or it can be a screw up through a combination of factors that eventually lead to a big screw up. So, uh, my first screwed up moment, in a sense, had to do with basically my own body screwed up on me. <laughs> okay. So, to speak... Uh, to put it very succinctly, is that uh, actually I was diagnosed with uh, depression, major depression at the age of 10. In the season finale of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, we present to you one of the most incredible stories relating to depression and mental health. They found me at night, actually. Um, I was sitting against the wall. I was just banging my head against the wall. It will be raw. This kind of mental health issues actually affects the whole family, honestly. It's not just myself. It will be painful. Basically, really, it's a struggle just with the symptoms. Simple things such as getting out of bed. It will be uncomfortable. I actually honestly thought about ending it all. But most of all, it will be the true story of depression as told by someone who has suffered from it for most of his life. Because not all stories have happy endings. Sometimes, it is not about making a recovery, but about how you can adapt and just try to live a normal life. This is the Cha Xin An story. Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail, and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. Over the course of interviewing and recording for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, I have met and spoken to a variety of wonderful people, each with their own incredible story. And for all the pain and suffering and joys and redemptions that they've shared, perhaps the one that has made the most lasting impression was my first guest, Chia Xun An. I still remember that day clearly. I was nervously trying to remember my questions and the details in his story while anxiously fidgeting with all the equipment to make sure it was working. Most of all, however, I was just worried. Worried about how the interview would go, about whether we would get enough material for a decent episode, about whether or not it was okay to record someone's pain and broadcast it for the world to hear. But then Shin-An showed up at the recording studio, sporting a dry-fit shirt, shorts, and running shoes. Thank you for inviting me to tell my story, he says. I'm going for a run later. I hope you don't mind. And then we started the interview. We talked, he opened up, my nerves melted away, and about 90 minutes later, it was all over. And Shin-An had just completely changed my perception of depression and mental health. In this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, we will be listening to the story of someone who has battled depression since the age of 10. As I've noted earlier, this will not be a comfortable journey. But at the very least, if you allow Shinan the space to tell his story, then hopefully, he might be able to change the way you see depression and mental health, just as he has done for me.
Depression is a mental health condition which is characterized by uh, extended periods of low moods, inability to function well, symptoms if you will, such as uh, being unable to think, being unable to process cognitively well, very low moods. I already said low moods two times because that was a big theme. Basically, just not acting as you should, feeling set down and basically, that's what mostly depressed, being depressed is. So, Obviously, you don't get depression. It's just like, oh, okay, I have depression. It, it doesn't happen that way. Um, the causes of depression, along with that of uh, mental health conditions, are many, actually, and they are quite varied. So, it can be boiled down to a combination of factors such as your biological makeup. You know, some, some people are predisposed genetically to be more susceptible to mental conditions. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. Uh, another two things which uh, do play a big part, basically, is uh, the psychological factor and the social factor. So, psychological factor could be basically your personality or just the, your predisposition about how you view things in life. You know, some people are a bit more half-empty than others. And another aspect would be the social part, which is basically uh, circumstances, either that of your family or economic circumstances which may contribute to stress. So this whole this bunch of stuff actually leads up to a diagnosis. Why am I talking about this would be basically because these few combinations actually led to my initial depression. Mind you, this is not something that at the age of 10 I was like, aha, I know what it is, I know why this happened. Ah. No, no, no. Actually, it was a bunch of, a very long journey around 10 to 15 years of, um, I guess, asking questions and certain things just revealed themselves naturally and through the passage of time. So, I suspected that how my depression came about was mainly due to um, psychological and social factors. At that point of time, it was in 1998. My dad was actually a building contractor, you see. Not a big one, just a a small one. So basically, it's this guy who built a wall, built a ceiling, built a room. So that was what he did. And growing up, things were okay. I didn't really remember much until around the age of six to eight. But that was when, um, back then, it was the 1998 Asian financial crisis. So my father's business took a hit. And uh, my dad, unfortunately, he didn't really cope well with stress. So basically, there was a lot of quarrelling within the family and also with my relatives. So you can see there's a kind of a social factor behind it. And um, my family was kind of quarrelling with my in-laws for some reason. Actually, my in-laws wanted a son and whatnot. It's a very Asian thing. And sometimes when you look at it backwards, it's a very stupid thing. But it's really a very Asian thing. It's a very big thing, you know. We have to look at the times. Uh, so back then, you know, the Asian culture was basically you want you want a son, having more sons will be better. So I'm the eldest of three sons, you see. So my in-laws, they had a lot of daughters. Sometimes when you go for these reunions and whatnot, there was a lot of uh, resentment and whatnot. And sometimes this sort of thing, there's no link whatsoever, but it somehow just linked and there was a lot of quarreling. So there was a lot of blame games and going whatnot. And this happened all the way until around 2002 to 2003, which I was around the age of 10. So... I would guess that actually build up. That, that actually build up and uh, I kind of like was caught in the middle because I was the eldest son. So that kind of 
caught up and eventually, I suspected, will be actually led to the depression. How the depression came about actually is very silly. It's this small trigger. Actually, uh, when I was in primary school, I had an asthma attack due to um, my school having some renovations and whatnot. And it actually caused my eyes to have some sore eyes. You know, my eyes were basically having a lot of discharge. And after that particular episode, I just started developing symptoms of depression. Over the course of a month, I started having difficulty sleeping. And because I had difficulty sleeping, uh, how I would actually act up would be, I actually was at nightmare, so I would cry at night. And um, this was the kicker that actually made them bring me to the child psychiatrist to just have me assess was that uh, they found me at night, actually. Um, I was sitting against the wall. I was just banging my head against the wall. Yeah, so they were hearing this. Um, it's not a ghost, mind you. Okay, it's, it's not not a ghost hitting the wall. It's, it's, it's a human being, a human being hitting the wall. So in the middle of the night, there was like this knocking sound, you know. Yeah, not not coins dropping, but somebody knocking. And uh, of course, that was abnormal. You see, that was abnormal. So it spooked them very badly. And um, they brought me to the child psychiatrist. So that was kind of the prelude to the first screwed up moment which kind of stretched around 10 years because um, depression is not just like one thing it hits uh, but it's actually a long stretch of time so that would be my first major screwed up moment Do you remember much about that period of time? Um Unfortunately, yes. Uh, it's quite vivid. Uh, mm. Some parts are quite vivid. Some parts are a blur, but it was quite vivid. Um, because that was in 2002. So, yeah. actually, in the context of the construction industry, it kind of like decided to to dive into very bad territory in 2003-2004. So, uh, my dad was actually truly struggling financially back then. Uh, mm. He was struggling to keep the business alive. And having the diagnosis of depression on me was also quite hard for him because uh, he actually has an elder brother on the paternal side. It's not diagnosed, but it is a suspicion of... Uh, basically, they suspected there are some mental health issues with that. Mm. So they could... He had the fear that there was a biological component to it. And unfortunately, uh, yeah, my paternal uncle is still not doing very well. If you heard of the term the... Hikikomori, basically, oh, yeah. Wow. It's basically just hold up in a in a flat and he refused to come up for nearly I think 30, 40 years. So So that 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 fear and, and my dad grew up with that, you see. That happened after national service. Right. Something happened and he became like that. And that fear was very real to my father. He saw that, you know, being the elder he he was the eldest son. Hmm. And I was the eldest son, so he saw that link. So I didn't know why back then, but I could see that why why he was so upset about it throughout the years. So in primary school, when the symptoms hit and I felt very low, um, I actually just disappeared from school altogether. 
So mm. we are talking about primary four. So in Singapore's education system, the primary school system, the second semester of primary four, I, I kind of had to pull out. Mm. Uh, and this is when you were about out. 10 years old, right? Yeah, I was 10. So mm. I didn't attend school for half a year. So I took the exam only when the exam came. Mm. Uh, primary five, I didn't really turn out at all. Primary six, I turned out for the first half. Then I disappeared for the second half. And um, the majority of my growing up years was basically relapsing and going back to school. A struggle to relapse, go back to school, struggle, relapse, and go back to school. So it's a it's kind of a recurring theme and pattern. Um, mm. What was going on when I disappeared? That was what a lot of people were wondering at that point of time. Because honestly speaking, it was in the early 2000s and the awareness of mental health issues was not that well-known, you see. Um, or, with that being said, even those that do know about mental health issues, the perception of it was not that great. Mm. So, I actually relapsed a lot. Basically, really, it's a struggle just with the symptoms. Simple things such as getting out of bed, mm. trying to function, trying to study, trying to go back to school. It, it's, it's just a repeating all the way until to the end of secondary school into polytechnic. It's, uh, basically, you I have uh, me on the bed for six hours. So school starts at seven, it ends at one. Hmm. Six hours, uh, basically three hours of struggle to get in my school uniform. The other three hours, once I've already finally somehow managed to get a school uniform, I would just walk to school and then, bam, school ended. <laughs> yeah, and people are wondering, um, hey bro, you come to school when school ends, uh, then I say, don't come to school at all. <laughs> it's true, no? there was this one time I already came at 1.30. So as soon as I walked in, I thought I already made it. I thought as I walked in, they all, they all, all look at me. Then the bell or one of those, they all like, oh, okay, finish already. I was like, uh, and, yeah, okay, it, it, it seems very funny, but uh, the, the truth is that actually the back end, there was a lot of struggle because yeah. that struggle was with my parents, you see. Ah. My parents were at the back end trying to get me to go to school. Yeah. And, in 2004, because the situation was that bad and my dad actually decided to give up his business to be my caretaker wow. together with my mom, you see. So, for a period of time, there was actually the two of them trying a concerted effort to just get me to school, uh, shuffle me to the child psychiatrist, go to the therapy sessions, adjust more the medication and whatnot. And there was a lot of caregiver stress. Mm. Really a lot of caregiver stress in addition to the financial burden. Actually, um, in secondary school, there was actually a kind of role reversal. My dad actually took care of me while my mom went to work. Oh. Yeah, because th- there was too much quarreling back then. And um, and this kind of mental health issues actually affects the whole family, honestly. It's not just myself. My brothers didn't know what was going on and to be quite frank, they actually quite, quite resented me because there was a disproportionate amount of attention given to me to kind of like save me. And they felt their needs were neglected. This is the toll that I started to see as I grew older and I guess I became more self-aware about the ramifications of having this illness. Then away from the family, the perception of mental issues, you know, Obviously, if you disappear for so many semesters, your teacher isn't going to give you a, give you, just let you like, oh, okay, hi, welcome back. That kind of thing. It's not going to work that way, you see. People will ask. And when people find out, quite a number of them saw that it's a weakness, you see. So it's a, they saw it as a self-wallowing, self-pity, pity fest and whatnot. And to me, 
that actually generated a lot of anger. Honestly speaking, I didn't really want it myself. I had no idea what was going on half the time, you know. It's like, um, I literally... It's weird, you know. Your brain just shuts down and when it wants to shut down, it stays down. It's like... Imagine that you want Windows to boot up, you know. Windows keeps updating and it keeps hanging there at 50% update. You just want it to work, man. You just want the stupid computer to work. But for some reason, it's always updating at 50% for 5 hours. And we have no idea what the heck is going on. So just imagine that as depression. The depression is basically that 50% just hanging there. And at some point, you really wonder like, what the heck is going on? Medication, to a certain extent, helped, but to a certain extent, it also had a lot of side effects. That's just the reality of medication sometimes. Uh, I put a lot of weight, and it caused me a lot of issues with my sleep cycle. Basically, it messed up my circadian rhythm a lot. And obviously, these kind of things, they have a domino effect. So basically, it was a struggle all the way to my O-levels. And when my O-levels, I had depression again. It was too much for me. It was so stressful um, that there is such a negative perception of uh, mental issues by my family due to the stress. There's such a negative perception from uh, some of the teachers about mental issues. My classmates had no idea what was going on and I also didn't know how to verbalize what was going on. This was disrupting my life to a great extent because for the past, don't know, five to six years, it's just, just really a cycle of relapsing and trying to get well. I kind of wanted that screwed up moment to permanently end. You know, it was not really worth living. And actually, um, I, I tried one time, but it didn't work out. You know, during some of the, the moments where you kept relapsing and maybe your, your lowest points of depression during this period, right? How were you feeling, especially with regards to the kind of... Because you mentioned that you saw the ramifications it was having... Uh, and on your family, you know, your parents are arguing, your brothers resented you. How how did you feel about that? I actually hated it. Uh, I didn't like it, you see. Mm. Because there's a kind of a processing, internal processing that was happening, you know. Right. It's like, it was alternating between that, it's my fault, why am I like this? That's one, that's two. And number three, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything to do this. Nobody... Nobody asked for this. I didn't ask for this. Right. But why is this burden for me to bear and why is this burden for me to settle? Right. And, you know, my my father had this, le- it's a legitimate fear, you know, like, next time, what are you going to do? Why, if you are going to be, 
disabled in a sense. You're going to live with a disability. How is it going to have impact on us? It's going to affect the quality of our lives. It's going to affect the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have a future. You know, I don't have a future. I also didn't know whether I had some future. My brothers were like, why is my brother, my elder brother, not being an elder brother? Why is he mm-hmm. having... Why is he having to deal with this in a way that takes away the attention from our parents to deal with this with this guy, you know? Mm. And he's not being my brother. Where's the support? Those kind of things. So there's a there's a really internal maelstrom of negative thoughts and basically negative emotions surrounding it. It's stressful, really. Uh, it's stressful for for me. It is mm. stressful for them. And many of our conversations during that period of time were very centered upon the topic of depression. You know? mm. It wasn't explicitly referred to as depression, but it's the topics, the conversations were all about how long is it going to take? Are you going to recover anytime soon? You know? when can you get better? Mm. When can we go back to our normal lives? Mm. When can this be over? And this weighed very heavily on me, you see. This weighed very heavily on me and it actually shaped my worldview of of life at that point of time that Mm. it is a very, very bad thing. It is a very negative thing. There is... There's literally no upside to it. Mm. It's just all a downside. And as a growing adolescent, you have a very natural tendency to compare. Yeah. You compare with your your classmates, you compare with your peers, like mm-hmm. why why are my, why is my family going through this? Why is my family going through uh, financial issues? Why am I going through these medical issues? Why is why do I have to go to the doctor so often when my friends uh basically they are either going to I, I don't know KFC or, or they're they're going out, they're having fun. Yeah. Probably some of them are dating and whatnot. You know, and, and they are they are trying to they're they are working towards a future whereas I'm just stuck in this cycle. And because I'm stuck in this cycle, my family is kind of dragged into this cycle too. So you're going to carry that weight. I'm going to carry that weight. You know? That was the weight I felt that I had to carry. And I felt that, okay, after the end of my O-levels, this actually made me decide that if I go into polytechnic, this has to stop. I don't know how it's going to stop. I don't know what I'm going to do is going to stop. Hmm. I'm going to have to find a way to make it stop because it cannot drag out anymore. When I tell my friends about screwed up moments and the kind of show we are doing, I often hear replies like, this is too much for me, I think this is too uncomfortable to listen to, or I'm not sure I can deal with something like that. And it always gives me pause. It makes me think about the entire endeavor and whether it was worth it. Podcasts are supposed to be entertaining after all, or funny, or informational, or educational, not 30 minutes of someone sharing the worst moments of their lives. And even now as I'm putting together the final episodes of this first season, I'm still not quite sure about the wider perception that this show might have. But at the very least, what gives me solace is that as I sit across from Shin An, 
and he is unloading all these terrible memories and feelings and thoughts and perceptions from the mental prison that was his depression, I am at least listening. I may not have rescued a dog from a burning building. I may not have found the solution to cancer or climate change. And for what it's worth, this podcast will most likely never be heard at a mainstream level. And yet, if there's one thing that I've learned from producing Screwed Up Moments, it's that whatever your pain or suffering may be, be it depression, psychosis, or cancer, or eating disorder, or burnout, just sitting across from them for an hour and giving them your undivided attention can mean a lot. As Shinan mentioned earlier, his depression gave him a tremendous burden to bear, and even if it's only by listening, I'll be damned if I let him carry that burden on his own. So, um, you know, it kept building up until the point of your O-levels. Then you mentioned earlier that during the O-levels, you, you said that it was a, you had like a suicide attempt. Yes. And then after the failed attempt, then you decided it had to stop or? Honestly speaking, it was kind of like, um, it wasn't a one thing. It was kind of a bit of a journey. Because at that point of time, basically there was the express stream. I dropped to normal academics so I had to right. take more and more years. So I was kind of, honestly, very, very upset about it. And after my O-levels, I decided, there was this odd trail of thought. like, it was really not worth living. And I kind of did this grandiose plan. If I'm going to end, end it all, I'm going to end it in the best way possible. So, no, so no, norm, no normal things, no normal things. It, this, right. Okay, this, this is a young, young man's mind thinking. No okay. normal things. I'm not going to just do a jump and that's it. Uh, mm. You know, I'm going to go and do it in a fantastic way. And that part of time, because I was quite sick and I didn't have a lot of things to do, so I actually read quite a fair bit of books. Mm. So, one of the books that I came across was, this book was called The Roads to Sata, which was basically in Japan. So, basically, it's this guy, a story of a guy who basically decided to walk from the south to the north. And uh, through some googling, I found this Aokihara, which was the suicide forest. So I thought like, you know what, it's perfect. Okay, this is perfect. You know what, this is the best way to do it. And, uh, so what I did was uh, actually, um, I decided to, and in sec I decided to end it that way. So what I did was actually, I booked a ticket to Tokyo. Oh, that okay. was in, not the date. That was in December 2010, you see. There was, and there was another alternative date, which was... Uh, March 2011. <laughs> Wasted opportunity, you see. I wanted to walk north. <laughs> Wasted opportunity. I went early. Ah. If so, life is very interesting. I went early, and you know the best part. Um, Ooh, when so, I so, was so, sorry, <laughs> what, what was the significance of the March date? March 2011 is when <laughs> the tsunami came. So the irony was really there and when I went there I was quite disturbed um, oh. so I actually wanted to go north so I just didn't go north and um, the train conductor asked me to go south he, he brought he decided to give me a ticket to go south instead to Tokyo I wanted to go north so in the end of the day I got lost 
and in frustration, my suicide attempt was 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 gone. <laughs> so I came back. So it's very anticlimactic. I came back defeated. And that's why in some ways I decided that uh okay, maybe if that failed then I better try to make my life um work out again. So I came back. Polytechnic started in the April of 2011. Mm-hmm. At that point of time, I was more or less in a state of apathy, to be quite frank. Mm. Was, when, I was, when I was in Japan, I really had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I, just walked around, I just walked around in Tokyo for 10 days until until I gave up. I, until I literally gave up because I really didn't know. I, I didn't have any money. You were doing this alone? Your parents, yeah, I did it alone. Your parents, I, you, did your parents know that you went to Japan? Actually, they had no idea. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they, they didn't really have any idea. Oh. They didn't really have any idea until until so I So the whole time you were in Japan, your parents were just worried. Yeah, they were just worried. Wow. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, please continue. <laughs> yeah, so I spent ten days just being a being being a hobo honestly. <laughs> um yeah, very very interesting now I think back uh, because back then uh, I, it was in December, so it was like seven to eight degrees. So yeah. Uh, I kind of like did a kind of stu- bunch of random stuff like um, I slept on the streets uh, I, I finally realised how the Japanese actually sleep on the streets homeless people there, there are there are actually quite a variety of homeless people there are those really that look like hobos and those that don't look like hobos but actually they are hobos mm. um, and all kinds of random random stuff but I mean during this time you were trying to fulfil your grand plan right your yes. grandiose plan weren't you like excited or anything I wasn't excited. You were just confused. I was just confused. I didn't know what was going on. I was just walking around in circles. <laughs> because at that point in time, I didn't, there's no thing such as Google Translate or, or right, Google right, right. Tra- right. or whatever. At that time, I was still using a map, you see. Yeah. And, and that map, when I was in Shinjuku, it rained so heavily, even though it was 3 degrees, and that map was so wet. So, naturally, wet map and cold meant the map stuck together. <laughs> the folder map stuck together and right. I couldn't move around. Right, right, right. So, I just walked around in circles. Honestly, <laughs> with five hundred sing dollars. Wow. Yep. So. So and, and and this is because the train conductor gave you like a wrong ticket. I think sometimes when I think about it, maybe he gave me the maybe he, maybe he just decided to send me there purposely because I was like, I remember at the counter I was saying north 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 north. Then he was like saying south 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 south. <laughs> I don't know if it was a loss in translation thing, or he just says I was so distressed because I was like, he asked me like where do you want to go in some some Japanese thing, but I just yeah. said north. Because I, I I don't speak Japanese, so I just said north or, or I use a translation book and whatnot. So honestly, I have no idea. But <laughs> there I was, uh fear attempt, came back, didn't know what to do. And then I said, okay, you know what? If this is the the chance that life gave me, then uh, I'll, I'll just Okay, mind you, it wasn't like, oh, I'm very grateful to be alive, that kind of thing. It was just like I was like, ah crap, back. You know, I'm back. <laughs> Danny, I'm back. <laughs> okay, I better try this one more time and make sure I don't screw it up. And um, when I went to Polytechnic, I worked very hard actually. Mm. I worked very hard to actually discharge myself. Um, I worked my way through, you know. I will actually write in a notebook, you know. It's like uh, very black and white, very extreme. It's like, you know, I write down there, you must, your GPA must be 4.0, full, mark, full or I will die of... So I basically would actually write in like in my notebook like GPA 4.0 or die. GPA I write quite a number of times to kind of lock myself in into a life and death situation. Right. Where I felt that probably out of pure desperation I would work better. Right. It was at least my train of thought. And um I would say I did quite well in polytechnic, you know, I had like 3.6, 3.7, you mm. know. 
it was a great chase, but I guess the rationale for the great chase was a little bit deviant from what most people would usually chase the greats for. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mine was literally to wipe out my um, backlog of um, sins, right. so to speak. Uh. And that motivation actually pushed me to excel. And I actually, my child psychiatrist at the point of time actually discharged me. They felt that the symptoms weren't there. Mm. Um, my medication dosage has finally managed to subside from there's like 60 to 40, 30, 10, 0, that, those kind of things. And I was actually studying in a, a course related to the building industry, was uh, facilities management. Mm. And it was quite roughly to what I was aligning myself that I could kind of settle a lot of problems for my own personal problems, my father's problems, and whatnot. So, it was it was great actually I thought it was over and that carried on until my third year of polytechnic was my graduating year into the final semester uh, and then it happened unfortunately this is not the end of Chia Xinan's story and in the next and final episode of season one we will be covering the second part and second screwed up moment that happened in his life. I just started seeing lines and started hearing things. The voices were telling me to die and I literally have to bang my, my head on the wall to see. What are you going to do? Commit suicide, huh? Honestly speaking, I think I was a bit naive in polytechnic. I was literally talking to myself. I was walking around in circles. It was really very bad. I didn't know what to do. And with that brings the end to today's episode. Tune in next week where we present the second part of Shinan's screwed up moment story. As I've mentioned in the introduction, not all stories have happy endings and easy resolutions. And this story is certainly one that you wouldn't want to miss. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again.